Welcome, listeners, to Dark Tides, our bi-weekly original game system using a horror comedy thriller podcast. I'm your uh, host, show creator, and narrator of Lydon. It's the same podcast you first fell in love with, yeah. now with more disbodied robots living in people's heads. And 20% less salt. 20% less salt. Oh, that's but a more, lot but less salt. But 50% more fat. Listen, fat, wait, sugar's the problem. Fat's fine. <laughs> fat's fine. Yeah, we fat. haven't removed any sugar, but there's less fat. <laughs> With me, no, there's more fat. It's oh. the same amount oh, of sugar. Yeah. To, to, less salt. To adjust for the lack of flavour from salt. We took salt out when we, mean to, we yeah. meant to take sugar out. It's less of a savoury podcast now, is what we're saying. Yeah. It used to be, you we know. We get mad at each other less. It's more like yeah. a scone now. Just dry. Uh, with, <laughs> with me, as always, old, uh, like Chester us. Lydon and BJ Ingate. Hello. <laughs> I'm the youngest here, so I'm not old. That's true. You've, you've still got some, some some taste left. Some oily skin. Yeah. Mm. I think yes. I think my skin is oilier than yours, though. It is. Yeah, I have very oily skin. You do. I Moving don't on. I hate it. Okay. Anyway. Who do you play? I play... <laughs> Alist. That sounds... Alist? It's, it's getting Alist. more and more difficult to differentiate our names. I play Halla and... It was always hard and it's getting worse. I play uh, Alla, the somewhat sad psychotic, robot. sad robot created by a, a long-lost father figure uh, <laughs> who he is now in searching for and mourning of after 50 years. And he's come to the archipelago to help in the only way he knows how, which is still manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Good. Uh, my name's BJ. I play Alistair Stern, who's in a lot of pain this episode because uh, he had to fight a Wendigo again. Mm-hmm. He thought he was done with fighting Wendigos. He was quite happy to be just friendly with one. He's like, this is so much better than it trying to kill me. Um, and that lasted for five episodes. <laughs> and now he's, yep, had to kill one again. Uh, Alistair's 36 now. Uh, he's he's dad. He's a husband. He's Kind of a mayor of a ramshackle Mad Max post-apocalyptic town in the middle of what used to be Port Staples. For the first time since starting the show, I don't have a written-out, fast-paced Alistair intro anymore. I just don't have Based one. Based and mayo? Yeah. Oh, but I always mention, uh, he still likes chocolate milk, but he can't get it anymore. So he switched to coffee. I think that, that really was a fun nice fact I said before. <laughs> Liam. Liam. Uh, Aubrey, who do you play? Uh, well, Aubrey yeah. plays my wife. A lot of people, yes. Weirdly, BJ's wife, my brother, <laughs> everyone's enemy. Um, yeah, I'm all things to all men. Good, good. Call me Caesar. What? <sighs> Never mind. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I play uh, a Jeremy Bartlett, which you will likely see in this episode. Thank you. <gasps> likely, not not. I'm not promising. It but could likely. happen. It could happen. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we sat down to record this episode and just talked for like five, ten minutes to figure out what we were going to do and like the story of it. And we still don't really know exactly what we're yeah, doing. We always try to be loose so that we're still being like, yeah. Oh, that I, w- I didn't want that. I'm to so to surprised. Me. Oh my goodness. Worms. Worms. Termites writing worms. No, this whole episode is going to be like a political, like, um, Oh, is it the Taylor Two Cities like type thing of mm. just like the politics of war between the worms and the ter- it's just us like sitting on a ridge watching this battle? Epic music. Yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, are we doing fun facts? 
I, if you if you got them. All right. Uh, Alice just started reading the classics. Because that's all he's got. Because that's literally because it's all he's got, and he can't go on Reddit anymore. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> his, that's his substitute. Yeah. Well, no more Reddit. I guess War and Peace. No, yeah. no more hate crimes for me. <laughs> oh well. R slash hate crime. R slash big worms. <laughs> if he if he ever gets back to civilization and Reddit is still around, he's going to create a subreddit called R slash big worms. <laughs> um. Yeah. So he started reading classics. So um. I think. Again, a lot of Alistair's reading material, as with last week's fun fact, is that a lot of it is just what's in his house. They probably would have taken stuff from the library and mm-hmm. things, but that before, would have been more... Before the main street became a toxic zone that yeah. was, like, horrifically dangerous Yeah, to it's, it's a bit more difficult to check your books in and out nowadays. Uh, but it would have been more practical stuff, I think, like woodworking manuals and things like that that they would have taken because, like, yeah. oh, we can learn from these because we can't Google it anymore. Um but most of the books that Alistair really reads would be the ones that are in the house. Now, obviously, Mayor Stern is not a man to read the classics. No, but he's a man that wants to look like he's a man that reads the classics. Yes, and absolutely. But I think also the the Stern residence is probably a much older house than Mayor Stern is. Mm. So I, I don't actually know the history of it, but I'm sure it existed long before he did. So I'm sure probably when he became mayor and was given the house... There was probably still some yeah. furniture there. I was just wondering that was is, is it is the house the property of the mayor? In which case, did he have to move out when the new mayor came along? No, it couldn't be because when in season two, when there was a he new is mayor, still living there. He was still living it. Maybe so it, it was, would be a family yeah. home. Yeah, and it's just that his. I think there's that weird thing that his family has been That's minor bureaucrats in the archipelago for the last yeah. three generations. So he's like, <laughs> it was his. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I choked on tea. It would be something like his grand Mayston's granddad came to the archipelago yeah. as as like a granddad clerk or something. Great granddad Stern. Yeah. Then yeah. then his dad was uh was like I don't know ran a corner store or whatever and ended up by being yeah. like on the council or whatever. And then Mallory Stern's the first in his, in his family to like make it all the way to being a minor municipal. Yeah. So I think there's probably a official. Very solid collection of literature in the book, in the house, that Mallory Stone has never read. And so Alistair just found all these dusty books. Like, oh, wow, this is great. So there you go. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a, enough of a knowledge as me to bring any of that to light through playing Alistair because I have not read much of those. But just imagine that I add in some witty uh, references to all sorts of old famous books as I'm playing Alistair so that you can get the general idea that he's done this, but I yeah. haven't. Uh, my fun fact for Alla is actually a rejected uh, story point of what Feed the Machine was going to be. Ooh. So Feed the Machine. So Alla was uh, fed. The reason why he has his personality is he was fed the classics. He was fed uh, That's right. all old works of literature. And the original form of uh, Feed the Machine was everything up to the point where um, uh, Dylan shoots the gun. All that was the same, but instead of shooting the gun, you guys would have been chased along that corridor and fallen into um, a different room, which would have been uh, a virtual reality recreation of the ship of Moby Dick. Ah, oh, wow, and cool. You would have basically gone from room to room, from classic literature to classic literature, different worlds, 
finding the, those specific items that were important to you. Mm. And this was Allegheny research about learning the human spirit and like why things were important to specific people and like understand your emotions around it so that he could like mimic it mm-hmm. type of thing. Ah, a human emotion. Ah, I see. Very good. Um, mm. But yeah, so whatever classics uh, Alistair has read, uh, Alla has also read. Also read. And, uh, has built his personality around. Yes. <laughs> so they're going to bond over that. Yeah. And Chester and I will have to work out pretend classics. to play that. Start, yes. Start a book club. Just look over to Aubrey. Aubrey. Yeah. Aubrey, Aubrey, play, Aubrey, tell can us you, what the reference Can you play be. our characters as well now? Because make characters you can play. Yeah. Um, it, I, I used to be one. able to play him, but now he's read the classics. <laughs> now I made him smarter than me. And now I can't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate that. <laughs> it's like um, when I started playing Heath, I was like, I don't understand any of this. Heath's really clever. He's really clever. He's really clever. And also, I can't do an Irish accent, even though I specifically said that I would. Without any accent. So I just started started reading. And then um, my one Irish character (laughs) hasn't surfaced because that was like a, just like a a little project that we were working on. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, that. uh, Yeah. Ebenezer. He'll come back. Um, He's your character. But yeah, so I was like, after that, around the time of the Wendigo arc, I just started reading all these like, war and strategy books yeah. and I was like I need to understand these things Yeah, I should have been doing this beforehand it's great so yeah cool. Sun Tzu good old Sun Tzu I've been meaning to read that one day it's actually really interesting it's not that long is it it's very short but it's really it's really entertaining because cool. every, everyone's like as yes, all wars should but no, be but everyone's like ah oh, yes I can use this as a way to understand my business and become a better leader in my business organisation I'm yeah. like no I think this is just about War. <laughs> this is just about the tactics of if you have enough people, you can literally as, as like so it's like because it's bit, just math. And if you don't, yeah. how you run away effectively? The intro was like this book has been used by generals, uh, war masters, and CEOs for generations. <laughs> like, I'm what? like, Fuck no, <laughs> CEOs. Chester, we're cutting out to swearing. swearing. (laughs) It's just Chester has to be believed. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, I do have a little fun fact. And this is a fun fact that uh, Alistair will be utterly unaware of. But Sky, for the last year and a half, has been uh, modifying the Stern family home in secret. She has been building uh, trapdoors and tunnels. That's my girl. Yes. Uh, yes, she has. She has a warren of little hidey holes and tunnels. I love and that. Caches of building materials and these sort of things that allows her to kind of mad scientist uh, her own life in a way where she doesn't get in trouble for doing like tampering with the house's electrics and stuff from her parents because as an eight year old you shouldn't be doing that. Yep. Um, and she absolutely has like an acetylene torch somewhere. Absolutely. So, yes. BJ now knows this. Ernest uh, Alistair Alistair does, does not. not. Yes. And All right. Took my PlayStation. No, she didn't. We didn't oh, say she what she took. No, oh, okay. She definitely took the PlayStation. <laughs> we didn't say. Um, All, All right. right. As a brief recap, uh, you guys had headed to the Hook Bar radio station in hopes to get a message to Heath. While there, you encountered Alla in a crystalline body. You fought him. Ernest kind of killed him, but also lost the fight in that Alla was able to take possession of Ernest's body. Um, when you guys realized this, Edgar was freaked out and realizing that his alpha had disappeared, that even the scent had changed and Ernest was no longer, this was no longer Ernest. 
Edgar kind of went a bit nuts and went into Wendigo mode and a I'm the alpha now. You guys had to fight him, which you did fairly successfully to the point where he had to retreat in order to heal. Uh, so you now have a fully rogue good Wendigo mm-hmm. in the woods. Um, and we were you guys were able to fix the radio station in a way that let you get, I'm pretty sure we were saying communication on the island back up. Yep. Yeah. And to get a message out to Heath in London. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, so that's where we'll pick up the story now. Mr. Pop. Ernest Marsh, for once, when we open with you in the dreaming, you are not asleep. You are fully conscious in the dreaming. This is where your brain is now. What is Ernest doing and what has he been doing for the last several hours? Uh, Ernest is laying on his back in the dreaming, uh, looking up, just breathing. And he's going to sit up and, like, splash his hands in the water a little bit and get up. Um. Well, uh, and he's going to sit back down now in a lazy boy. <laughs> he's created for himself and he, like, pulls up the, like, leg thing and sits crossed arms, like, <laughs> I mm, I don't know what to do. Mm. He's going to get back up off the lazy boy and just start walking. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is a grounder. Walk in this direction. And as he walks, uh, he like uh, makes a, uh, a like a street um pole come up pointing a direction and it's like yes that way that's, that's the one every like a couple of thousand steps he makes another one so he's yeah, got it's this like, line of poles like, and like with the, a lamp above it so it like illuminates the water in like a that's good because it's black water but with like a, a hazy yellow light above it yeah and there is there is little tendrils of mist always in the dreaming really in the dreaming mm-hmm. yes because like it's like they're always on the outsides of where you can see you're always on the outside and it's kind of it curls in a little bit after you it's almost like it's following you Mm. and what it is is that 
as Ernest is sort of thinking about this, because he has time to think about it, um, you knew that, like, from your conversations with Carrion, and potentially from your conversation with Luna, I can't entirely remember, that the the fog is, and the pillars are present in all yes. these places, in mm. every layer, because they're layers of the same world, but different layers of its reality. And, and so the fact that the fog is in your world, and there's the sandstorm in the desert, the fog here is the same thing. It's signifying yeah. where you are. I think we've said this, but the more for my own brain, the dreaming is a layer, right? Mm-hmm. And the desert is the space between all of them. That's what we initially said, and that yep. was the way that What's the, the thing Carrion is- explained it. But we now kind of understand that it is the layer between. Yeah, but it's uh, it is a layer. It's still its, its own. It's still it's, it's yep. still its own layer. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Is a lot of this thinking has been built upon by people that don't fully understand it. Yeah, type of thing. And Carrion is which Karin's very wishy washy. <laughs> So yeah, we're yet to have a clear out. He's more of a sip and tea and biscuits on the side of a boat <laughs> type. Bird. Funnily enough, Carrion is probably the least specific, Absolutely. least helpful yeah. shepherd you could have found. Ernst is going to, to continue walking for some time. Uh, and as he does, he's kind of looking down at his feet, trying to look past the layer of water to see if there's anything deeper. He's never really searched within the dreaming it's always kind of been presented to him so what can he see beneath the water what can he see beneath the water Ernest pauses because the dreaming's always been the same and maybe just he's never spent more than like 10 minutes at a time in it and he's sure he's never seen this before so as he sinks to his knees he can see what feels like miles and miles away, almost like a submarine, a single light. It would be at this point, I think, that you you hear the now familiar flap of wings and the rustle of feathers. Um, and you look up expecting to see Luna. And instead, you're kind of like hands and knees. You've had almost your face pressed to the ground, basically, to look down here, to peer through the water. And you look up expecting to see Luna. But what you see is a large crow, a raven, potentially. Is Ernest clear on the difference between the two? No. He's not sure. It's either a raven well, or Well, a crow. actually, probably Ernest would be bird-watching stuff. So <laughs> okay. He watches what, birds. What is it? So I keep answering like myself and not like Ernest. All right. Uh, and it is it is perched, it's sort of standing it's on cleverer than you are on the, the the layer of the dreaming in front of you, like the floor, like the water, and it is sending out its own little ripples that are interrupting your view, and it's sort of hopping from side to side. It's looking at you. Ernest pauses, and you can sense that this is not of your creation. It's not of anyone's creation. This isn't a dream. This is a third party. This is yeah. This has a signature. This is not simply an illusion. It'd be like if there's someone else in the dream with him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ernest is going to reach out to it and try and touch it. It pecks at your back. It savagely tries to, like, get you. And then there's a, there's a squawk and a flap and another one kind of, like, tumbles... In. It like tries to land almost on top of the other one, like it shoves it out of the way, and it begins to try and peck at it. 
and they're sort of squabbling and fighting and then a third one arrives. This is going to get to his feet up off the ground. He's kind of backing up as more and more of them are starting to, to arrive. He's, he's never seen anything like this before and he is very confused by it. It's like parasites. They almost. seem to be multiplying almost like maggots. Um, you probably know that you could call for Luna if you wanted to speak with her. Mm. Uh, but what does Nurse want to do? Hmm. Nurse's kind of mind is mostly taken up by the, the uh, crows at the moment. Uh, and he's going to take a few steps closer towards them. Mm-hmm. You can see that they are, with their little uh, like beaks and their little talons, they are clawing at the surface of the water. Uh, and they're like sticking their beaks in. They're almost like trying to burrow their way below the surface. But they seem to be struggling to do this. Uh, Ernest is going to click his finger and make it almost like a cannonball hits the surface of the water, scattering the birds. And he's going to call out, Who was walking with me? And the birds, like, core and shriek as they circle above him now, not wanting to land on the water. Answer me! You hear the gentle, slightly musical voice of Luna behind you as you are staring up. And she kind of... She seems to be always too close. I think, I think we've said that about Carrie and too. The shepherds don't have a great sense of <laughs> personal, personal space. space. And so she's kind of like leaning over your shoulder and looking up. And she goes, well, <laughs> it depends you asked. Who is walking with you? I'm walking with you. But we what are, are walking together. Hmm? But what are they? I've never seen them before. They are eyes. They are teeth and they are claws. They are the king of limbs. Well, it's hard. They are not the king of limbs, but they belong to the king of limbs. So they are the king of limbs. They're the limbs? Maybe. I've heard that before. Last time I saw you, I heard it like, like a war cry. Didn't fully understand it. The king of limbs is slippery and that's not mother is this any kind of gestures like is this mother's because you said she was attacking the dreaming and these are mother's forces she's beginning to stride away from you across she's sort of like head and shoulders forwards the wings kind of tucked behind uh stalking forwards you have to kind of trot behind to keep up with her mother has many forces Mother is a force with many faces. The but king of limbs but is. She's not the king of limbs. No, the king of limbs is under her wing. The king of limbs is a tool. It obeys her. And mother cannot interact with the dreaming. That is why she wants the dreaming killed. She will kill it if she can, but she cannot interact with it. The king of limbs can interact with it. And the king of limbs needs a marsh. Ernest pauses and rolls his shoulders slightly and an eye darts down to the light beneath them 
And as you look down at the the light, it's very faint and kind of flickering. Uh, it's it could be could be a couple of hundred meters away. It could be kilometers down. You can't tell. You don't know how big it is, and you don't know how far away it is. It looks very faint. And as you're watching it, staring, kind of hearing what Luna's saying and processing it and trying to understand what she's talking about mother the king of limbs who are these people what does what does they what do they need with a marsh you look down at this light i think what what could be you've never looked down there you've never thought there would be anything underneath the surface it's a surface that you stand on and as you're thinking this something covers the light some shadow, some something covers the light and it goes out and it stays like that for 10, 20 seconds and then the light winks on again whatever it was has moved or something that was covering the light moved away and you can see it again Ernest's spine kind of tingles a bit and he thinks back to the slip fit to the yeah, this, to the submarine that him and Alistair went down to, and the great behemoth that they saw there, the blinking like, red light, and the blinking red light. He's just like, Bleh. he uh, looks up. Yeah, he looks doesn't. Up, he he looks, doesn't look underneath uh, anymore. Yeah, he looks back up. and says, "Wants a marsh." Hmm. Hmm. Um, Luna has stopped. There is no. There's never like a wall. In the dreaming, there is just this ever... No, she could create one. No, but there's this just ex- expanse. <laughs> but what you're seeing is this in this place, the fog seems thicker and there is almost like a tear in the air and you can see these little black feathers are trying to force their way through, mm. almost like little centipedes crawling through and as they pull themselves... Like sorry? Like rot. Like rot. They pull themselves, clawing in the reality to yank themselves in. And once they're in, they turn into crows and they begin to try and flap away. Luna isn't inspecting this kind of gash. Uh, It looks almost like a wound in the reality of the dreaming. And she takes her hand and spreads her talons out wide. And she places them over uh, this, this tear at the top. And where she places her hand, there is a burning light, almost like an arc welder is beneath her palm as she seals the tear and she brings her hand slowly down, knitting the fabric of the dreaming back together. And as she does so, the birds that are struggling to get their way through, the little centipede-like creatures, and even the ones in the air around it, catch fire and burn. They howl and, and crow out, and Ernest looks around as a few of the ones burning begin hurtling themselves down towards them and crash into what appears to be this wall again and chip it and create more tears. Yeah. Luna is winning this battle, but you can see that there is a significant toll of energy taken as she seals each one. You think it's interesting that as these birds are circling down, they're all diving down. They're all 
diving towards the floor, that this solid floor that you're standing on. And so when they hit it, there's this horrible crack sound as their beaks smash into the surface. But you wonder why? Why are they going down? Ernest, okay, Ernest takes a few steps back as uh, Luna is healing these things, but it never heals fully. There's still a scar left from where it was. And as he takes a few steps back, he sees the shape that this scar is. And this is a giant, a giant triangle with a fork in the middle, with each point reaching out to a different part of the triangle. And he frowns because he has seen that symbol before. steps back as the last of these fissures is closed and she ruffles her feathers and sort of shakes them and the, what you would think is the wall this sort of unseeable end to the dreaming flickers and disappears how yes. do I get back in my body mm. to get back into your body there needs to be space in your body to get back into so you potentially cannot, or potentially you can. But if you are to get back into your body, you will potentially have to force the other thing out. And will that kill him? Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, that is unquestionably not my department. Oh. <laughs> but my department can be helping you, so we can work on this. Ernest strokes his chin and then looks down what's moving down there she looks down and goes there are many things in the deep dreaming Ernest the dreaming goes a long way down and at the very base on the sea floor of the dreaming it sleeps sometimes it moves in its sleep but it is best not spoken about. When you speak its name, you risk waking it, and this would be the end of all. The end of the dreaming, the end of your layer of reality, the end of every layer of reality. So, shh. So, so that's why the crows were trying to get down there. The crows could be after many things. There are a lot of things in the deep dreaming. Like the light. Like the light. Carrion likened the fog, the archipelago, to a prison. Mm. What's so powerful that it seems like all the shepherds decided was better to just lock away than to deal with? Because you guys can do anything. In your own layers, <laughs> you are like, what's so powerful that you need to lock away? She looks sad uh, and 
shuffles her shoulders and uh, the feathers kind of stick up in a ruff and she settles them. This is maybe the saddest story of all, Ernest. A family divided. It is to keep my brother from doing any more harm. Not that he does no harm, but it is to keep him on a chain. For he cannot be trusted. She, as she is speaking, you feel space contract and almost like they are rushing towards you. The pillars arrive in your vision and they come in and become smaller until each pillar is about the size of Luna. As this happens, you look down at the water and it's almost like the water is rushing past your feet. And it's almost, you can't tell if the pillars are moving to you or if you and Luna are being skidded across the surface to where the pillars are. Mm. It's like this weird optical illusion. Two motions happening at once. So and you can't yeah. yeah, and whether the pillars are shrinking so that you can see them well or if you are growing to be able to see them. And you can see the seven pillars uh, that you had been able to get a glimpse of as you entered the archipelago and as Alistair had glimpsed in the desert. And you can see now as she stands next to it the the pillar that is in the likeness of Luna. Uh, and you can see not far away the pillar that is in the likeness of Carrion. And each of these pillars is in the likeness of one of these bird people shepherds. This is my family, Ernest. These are the shepherds. Ernest looks across all of them, getting a good look at each, and then points at one, the kind of tallest and proudest of them, and says, Well, from the way he's described, I'm guessing this is the harbinger. <laughs> yes, you could call him that. It is not his name, though. It's not his name. That is what he is called by those that hate and fear him. Oh. And fear him they should. What's we will call him Harbinger. For now. Okay. As my brother Carrion would say, there is a time for his true name to be used, but not yet. Okay. Harbinger is justice incarnate. Harbinger is strength. Harbinger is respect. Harbinger is order. But Harbinger is only half of my brother. Hmm? He is only half. And shepherds can be not whole. Whole? Only this one. He was split. And he was split by the forefathers. A long, long time ago. But he will be whole in time. When the time is right. Ernest circles out to the kind of middle of the circle and he kind of turns around a few times. Oh, sorry. In the middle of the circle, you, you hadn't seen it first, but where all of these um, circle of seven, there is an eighth pillar in the centre and the eighth pillar you can only see up to its uh, sort of its chest and its shoulders and from above there it is smashed. Ernest looks at the pillar and he kind of circles around it and he looks back to Luna. This is something I've been meaning to ask. I guess this 
may in some ways answer it, but this is something I've been to ask Carrion and now you for a long time. Why are the shepherds of other layers helping us? We are beings, and he points down, of this layer. Yes. So why are you helping us? Shouldn't our shepherd be helping us? This is a big question, and it is maybe the oldest story, Ernest. Our world was not... Our world was once not separate. Once we were not layers. Once there was no division. Once there was closeness. There was communication. There was community. There was not eight worlds, but one. And for the safety of those worlds, they had to be divided. And unfortunately, yours was divided first. We were cut We were cut out. You weren't cut out, but you were separated from the rest. And in that sundering, they were separated from each other. Only now two remain tied. The rest are all separate. They are layers now. And my brother, she passes a hand over the, the broken statue in the center. My brother started it all. And he cannot help you, Ernest, because he broke the world. He began it. And the others joined in. The other peoples. Your people, the humans. And the forefathers. And what are now the parasites. They were not once this. There are many beings that are not what they once were because they listened to my brother. They believed his lie. So, so the reason we can see this now and the fog is here now is because... Why? Uh, is it because he's getting out or... You're trying to stop people getting... You're trying to stop Mother from getting in? Both. After my brother incited rebellion and sundered the layers, he was caged. And he is still dangerous. He still has great influence, not just in your world, but in the other sundered worlds as well. He has great power, even though he is contained. The fog exists as a prison, yes, to prevent him from breaking out. But it prevents others from breaking in, that they might free him. He calls to them. Have you never wondered why the archipelago, which for a time you called home, and many still do call home, is a hotbed for all those things that creep and crawl and slide? I thought it was because Ilios created a hole, created a, a break, but he kind of strokes his chin, his chin. But if they were making a, a hole, why would they dig it so deep? They could do that anyway. Yes. They were digging. 
they were looking for the pit. What's his name? The shepherd. Our shepherd. The name of the fallen shepherd is Terra. scary. No, but he is the origin of both words. Oh, that is scary. We cut to... Alistair and Alla journeying back to Ravenholm. Have you ever seen termites that big before? I've never seen termites. Well, I can assure you they're not supposed to be that big. They are what they are. They're not supposed to be that big. They are what they are. (laughs) Now, I would suggest that you're both on horseback. Yes, we would be. So, yeah. Ella is laying on his horse, like stomach on the saddle on the, you know, like, either side. You know, that's not how it's... He's got like one foot on one... Like one uh, You're supposed to sit on it. hand on the other. Yeah. Like I am. This is far more sturdy. Ah. I don't trust it. You look like you're about to slip off head first. I've got, a- I've got it. Ella. Sorry. I'm not used to that yet. You will. Some of the time you talk a lot want like to. Ernest. I'm in complete control of this situation. Ah. <laughs> Roll for animal handling. <laughs> I was about to say, Alistair stops his horse, walks over, helps Ella up out of the puddle. Nine, so... Yeah, you're, you're not going to fall off. You just slide down a bit. Yeah. That's a success. Yeah. You're staying put, but it's mostly through willpower and, <laughs> and like, <laughs> clenching. Now, how long did we stay there? Did we stay the night at the radio station? I think station? you would have had to have stayed the night in yes. order to be able to get back. Yeah, before- now, the question is, are you bringing her back with you? Yes. Ah, uh, I think we would be. Well, he's not like. Um, I mean, Allah wouldn't trust him to be left with his like okay. fine-tuned I think, machinery. I think Alistair would use the leverage of n- you were stuck in the computer. Yeah. Like last time, you barely convinced me to let you leave. This time, there's no yeah. way in hell I'm letting you go back there. Uh, Herb is, is sitting behind Alistair on yeah. Alistair's horse. Um, yeah, and just like as an image of the place before they left, Ella had like taken basically every piece of wiring out of every cabinet, everything. Everything was just running along floors. There was like taped together in general large clumps. It's like, it's it's almost like the perfect symmetry and design of a spider's web, but 
in machinery form, like everything just leading to each other, different monitors, everything working at full power somehow. You have no idea how, and there's like multiple <laughs> new wind turbines that are feeding into multiple power banks and all sort of stuff. He's turned the tower into like he's like miniaturized the tower into just a core like spike that's going up, and then he, but he's now using the tower the rest of the metal. as a light as a lightning yeah. uh, rod basically to generate more power. Alice is, he was looking at it and he's like. This should have taken months. We've been here a day. Yeah. Your main job- And you're job, still bleeding. Your main job of while this was going on was to, like, stop the roof leaking. Yeah. While he did everything else. You were putting, like, tarps up in the new holes <laughs> while he was doing and, everything like, else. like, nailing bits of lead and stuff to patch all the corrugated iron. Yeah. That's they can't great. have water. Um, all right, all right. Yep. And just before you left, he typed up a few last things up on the computer and then switched it all off and has gone with you. Okay. So let me get this straight. Do we have short range radio communication? Wow. I, I think uh, I think Edgar might have dislocated my jaw. Let me try that again. Did you get short ray way? I c- <clears throat> Sorry, I'm not feeling well. Can we radio each other? You're not good at talking. <laughs> really not. I'm fine. It's this random guy singing in a chair that sounds like me that's the problem. Ah, I see. In another uh, world. I, I have gotten the tower up to 120% capabilities. Uh, everything else I would need to have access to are the on-the-ground materials to get those working. But at the moment, That's the right. tower will be a bastion of communication. The world renowned. Could have just said yes, but thank you. As long as well, we Because can- the answer's not as simple as yes. All right. Yep. Gotcha. As long as we can communicate with each other here, that's... Yes. That's good. We can work everything else out from there. If other people on different uh, uh, islands, he grabs onto a bit better, uh, if their <laughs> radios are working to capability, we'll be able to communicate like, to them. Uh, he uh, like flops over so that he's down uh, on his like back f- so he can look at Alistair. He's like a fish. Like, yeah. uh, if they're up to... The s- <laughs> and we're walking like so slowly. <laughs> if they're up to capabilities, then everything will work fine. If communicated through the tower, it will take me some time if you to don't get the other like ones horses this much you could just walk and let herb take the other horse i am in control <laughs> uh, if you say so my guy the but- horse stops to chew on some grass mash it just looks at you avast <laughs> come on and starts walking <laughs> uh all right at this point alistair can you make a survival check for me oh boy which I believe you have proficiency. I don't know if Alice is the one who falls off the horse somehow. <laughs> he's, he's so busy looking and giggling, he just gets hit in the face with a branch or something. Twelve! All right. Plus probably something. All right, with a twelve, you are you are laughing and you, you something in your brain clicks and you stop dead. Mm-hmm. And you rein the horse in uh, and you kind of watch Alice continuing to trot along the road until Alice, his stop. horse realises that I yours has stopped. stop. The, the horse is smart enough and they're trained. You, you guys have spent a lot of time training horses. It stops as the other one stops because it's not going to wander on alone. Um, and you, what you have sensed is there's almost a change in temperature and then like air pressure has dropped. And your brain immediately picks up on this slight tingle on your skin that tells you that something is coming. And you know what is coming. Alistair has had interactions with this before, and they are the stuff of nightmares. You, taking immediate assessment with your natural 12, you need to hide, and you need to hide immediately, and you cannot possibly interact with what is coming. 
Alistair slips off the saddle silently um, with a lot more agility than should be possible for somebody who's, you know, as bloody and bruised as he is. And he just, like, clicks and points and his horse walks off the road yeah. and does the same to the other horse. And as it's passing, he just tells Ella, hide. I'm stuck. Shh. The horses both actually get down on their knees um, as mm-hmm. a way of getting smaller. They've been trained to mm-hmm. do this with this sort of signal. Alistair looks at you when you say that. He's like, not a sound. And he draws his knife and follows the horses into the like bushes on the side of the road. He does like, like maybe a, a little ditch or something. He yeah. does like a humph face. <laughs> Just like gets laid down with the horse. His legs tangled in one of the spokes. You see, the change in Alistair is so significant from him laughing at you from falling off the horse before, or almost falling off. He doesn't even register your your look and you just see this like but also Allah has no idea of social cues at no all, so he doesn't care but you <laughs> can tell like, it's it's almost like he's put a helmet on of this like yeah. totally different he's focusing yeah and as you do so you have mere seconds as the the air pressure still drops and you feel this cold change around you and you feel that the air is being pulled away from you toward the trail in, in a gentle kind of thing and there is just this sort of tossing in the trees as the light changes and out of the fog in this almost monochrome uh, light and texture pulled out of the water <clears throat> in this almost monochrome world where the light and texture has been sapped three figures come moving through the trees and they are taller than the trees they are maybe four stories tall and they are with uh, they're humanoid creatures with arms and legs but they are almost made entirely of shadow and darkness they seem to draw light into them and light dies inside them as they move through the trees everything that brushes against them turns grey and rots and becomes dust on the wind and you do not want to look at their faces but as you look you can't help but look upwards and you see atop these bodies the faces you see the horns that curl out from the head and I want each of you to give me another detail about them inside the face where there should be eyes and a nose and maybe a mouth there's just a red light, a single red light right where the bridge of the nose would be, and everything else is just plain. It's not even shadow. It's like negative light. Mm-hmm. And in this kind of darkness and monochromeness, this light just beams out like a spotlight, sweeping left and right and left and right. And as it passes over, it's... And the leaves that passes over curl and die. And the sound is almost, it's not an audible sound. It's again that that change of air pressure that seems to hum and buzz. It's like this electrical buzz when the light passes past, but you can't hear it, but you can. It's mm. like you hear it in your bones. And as you look, and Alistair, you have seen these things from a distance a couple of times. You have seen them attack, but never human. You've never seen a human try and engage with these things. You just call them stalkers. 
and they have on their hands they have three fingers two sort of mandibly fingers that they can uh, articulate and a thumb that has a curling spur on it their feet are similar they have three toes with large nails on them and then a spur at the back almost like a rooster's foot um, and that's what these creatures are and because you're hiding and because you've got a net 12 they are going to pass on uh, they do they kind of pass briefly out of the fog around you they suck all of the light and the energy and the life into them as they pass and then within two three strides they've disappeared into the fog again okay and they are a perpetual threat. They seem to always be searching for something, but you've never seen them interact with a human, and you have been lucky enough that Ravenholm has never yet been in their, what you would kind of call their range. Yeah. They don't tend towards that okay. side of the island very much. They seem to be higher in the hills, usually. And maybe we could say that uh, whenever they've seen them attacking things, it's not been... Like you would expect some kind of giant monster to find a wild cow and kill it and eat it. It's been like just whenever they find something that lives, it dies, and then they keep looking. Yeah. If it requires more energy than just their presence, they they just kill extend it. a hand to it, and the thing just crumples and folds in on itself like it's just mm. been sucked dry of any vitality and living nature. Alistair turns to you... And so I did it again. I gestured to Chester with my eyes. I mean, you're the only other character here, but oh, actually, that's not true. Herb's here. Yeah, he's an NPC. Alistair turns to um, Alla with just this look in his eyes of don't move. Like, I know they're gone. Still don't move. And he points to his watch. I guess Alistair's wearing a watch. He points to his watch and then holds his hands up with all 10 fingers as if we're waiting for 10 minutes before we move. Mm. And then he turns again and watches the direction where they went, just in case they come back. Very, very slowly, the light begins to return and the, the detail of texture in the world begins to return around you. Uh, and it takes, it takes about 10 minutes for the world to have returned to normal. All of the grass... It's basically just like a gravel and dirt track. Yeah. But there's still some weeds and some grass and things growing out of it. And all of the leaves and the little spindly grass things that were growing on the road where they walked, they're just all dead. Yeah. Ella eventually gets up and untangles himself from the, the horse and brushes himself down. And he says, Hmm. Now I have seen demons... They have much alike. He pats on the horse. Rise, horse. Yep. Just <laughs> like gesturing both hands. Both Rise. Rise. <laughs> Alistair. It does get up. Alistair. Yeah. <laughs> it's and also then, like the other one stood up as well. And it's ah, like both. <laughs> Alistair's like, yep. We just hope they never come close to where we live. You will need much more than hope when that happens. And he's going yep. to try and climb onto the horse again. This is why, you see, you, you should have got on before it climbed up and then you 
It doesn't matter. Lower. <laughs> the horse walks away because Alistair's on his by now. No. <laughs> start walking away. All right. Get back. And you have been on the road now for about six hours, which is a very long time to be exposed in the wilderness. And you think that you will be... You're fairly certain. You managed it with Ernest, and that was partially that Ernest is a pretty good horseman, like, and, and Edgar yep. moves fast, and you weren't carrying Herb. Uh, last time you were able to make it... I can't remember how many hours we said, but it took you most of the day. This I think it was time, like three or four. Allah is Because it'd be about like a 40-minute drive, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so a few hours on horseback. Yeah. Slow. Yeah. So you think, but also because you are trying to take a much more circuitous route, you realize that you, the amount of time you spend stopping to avoid potential encounters and threats the way you just have, that you'll be lucky to get there by late afternoon at this rate. And spending a night, if there was any reason why you were to spend a night outside the walls, is almost unthinkable. Yeah. It is far, far too dangerous. The lack of communications is part of, part of what's made all of this so dangerous because mm-hmm. if somebody sees a stalker, they can't tell anyone, hey, there's a stalker in the woods. You know, we can't keep track. We can't catalogue them and figure out what their movements are or, you know, that's what makes it so difficult. And because we've been here for so long and things are getting worse, it changes and you probably don't really care. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but... He's like bouncing yeah. back and forth on the, the horse. We're also taking into consideration that um, you now have a Wendigo... Uh, off uh, that will kill everything it comes into contact with. And if it dies before we reach it, or if you kill it, Ernest will never forgive you. So uh, we should hurry that up. Yes, I uh, haven't forgotten about that, but you will also uh, ah. uh, uh, you will also agree that uh, Ernest wouldn't be alive to not forgive me if I hadn't attacked it. So, you know, there is that. And you wouldn't have either. I'd work something else out. How does that work, do you reckon? Like, if you, you know, you were in the computer and now you're in Ernest's brain, and if Ernest's brain dies, there's not like a digital backup you can do or something. Oh, I have backups. Of course you do. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. The only reason I'm here now is because I had endless backups. Great, that, that that makes me feel really good about you keeping Ernest alive. That's great. Well, I'm I'm keeping Ernest alive for a, a net positive uh, of a about seventeen percent increase in our likelihood of conquering, uh, conquering what mother? Uh, and this the got to do with the songs. Yes, I believe I believe uh, keeping the party uh, close together is a percentile increase, uh, a worthwhile percentile increase. So I, I see it as a net positive. You're bleeding again for my Roll over to your I, back. Yes, I am. Yes, but anyway, you can just sit up. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Not core hard. strength is hard, and Ernest doesn't have a lot. <laughs> He's grown he, soft. He doesn't like sit-ups. <laughs> Alistair, you you already know where you're going. This is while you have not made the trek to uh, the radio station for many years, and partially because it's very dangerous, partially because you haven't had anyone that's been able to fix it. Marv has tried previously. That was early days, and it was just not possible then. And you had other things to worry about. Uh, you begin to notice as you travel that you are getting closer to home. Uh, you're recognizing the landmarks, the trees, the trails, the forks in the trails. 
and you very soon emerge out of the woods into the cleared ground around Ravenholm. And you can see uh, in this larger space, it's harder when there's lots of trees. Uh, you get a better idea of what time of day it is and you realize that you're probably getting towards late afternoon now. And as you work your way out of the trees onto the trail that takes you directly towards the front gates, you can see home emerging out of the fog in this sort of almost castle-like structure where it's this wall low down and wide and as the hill kind of creeps up you can see more and more roofs and buildings all nestled into the hillside inside this wall up to the stern family home near the top and around the walls you can see um, people straighten up from field work in these mostly grain fields um, that are all in this cleared space as they are looking and waving as you emerge out into the space. We stop maybe 200 metres away from the gate and Alistair slips off his horse again and just turns to you and he says, stay here, if they think there's something wrong with you, they'll kill you. So stay here, I'll explain the situation and then you can come in and please sit up properly on your horse, you look like an idiot. <laughs> and then he walks towards the gates. He looks at you and frowns and is like... Yeah, yeah. Herb is now just left sitting on Alistair's horse and he's looking at uh, Alistair and he's like... So, um... Nice afternoon. He slumps off of the horse and like pulls up his pants and like adjusts a few things and he wipes his face. He says, Yes. Alrighty then. Uh, he waits for Alistair to have kind of disappeared off and then he looks at Herb and smiles very creepily. <laughs> Wide, large smile. <laughs> Starts laughing. <laughs> <laughs> That's unsettling. <laughs> Tootles, and his eyes roll back, and he falls onto the ground. <laughs> and there's a, and there's his back. Hub. <laughs> yep. Why? Am Looks around. Why aren't we at the station? Because we're back now. Are you did feeling I, okay? Did I black out? You did just fall over. Now? Yeah? He's uh, scratching his head. Herb looks 15 years older. He looks... You know how I had described uh, how there's those band posters in the like yeah. front window and how they're just now all really faded? Herb looks identical to exactly <laughs> how you met him, except now he just seems greyer and more bleached. He's like... <laughs> So was I? He, like, he gets up. He's like, "You don't seem different. You seem fine." Okay, okay, that's, that's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. I wasn't being weird. You looked out, and there are staples keeping yeah, your skin yeah. together. Ah, yep. That that looks like Alice's handiwork. That looks crap. Okay. <laughs> where's my jumper? Where's my? Where's my and he's like touching. Where's my hat? Would Alistair have thought to pack any of those things? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Herb was like rummages through the saddlebag. Like, you mean this thing? He pulls out like the, the yellow coat. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. He takes them and slips them on. <sighs> Where's Edgar? Who? My brother, Edgar. One looks like me. 
At this point, Alistair walks back out. Uh, Herb like stares into the middle distance, like, I don't know. And looks up and he's like, "All right, they can come back in. We'll we'll put him in." And he looks at he looks at Ernest with the hat on and the thing, and he just looks into your eyes and he can tell there's something difficult and less self-centered there. He's like, "Ernest, are you back?" Uh, apparently, I never left. He's looking at Marv. Oh, okay. Alistair, he just stops and just like looks up at the sky. He's like, "Ah, oh, that's." Ah, that's a relief. That's good. That's uh, hey man, hey, come inside. Now where's, hold on. Uh, we, where, you won't need that. And this guy's like holding a crossbow. And he's like, no, you won't need that anymore. Where, where's Edgar? He's looking around. I think we should have a good chat. But first, I'm gonna go find my wife and get some Panadol. Then we're gonna have a chat. Okay. Is like starts walking with you, kind of still looking around, expecting Edgar to just like appear. You also notice that Alistair looks much worse than you. Yeah. Hmm. He's like looking down at himself as well. Did we lose? No, we won. Actually, doesn't well, feel I won. This is like what winning feels like. Won. Is this what, is this yeah, what this winning is, feels like? This is you and me walking home together alive. If this I, is what this is. <laughs> We won. If I could quantify it, I feel like I lost about 50 of my health points. Yeah, I feel that way as well. <laughs> no, I, no, actually, I feel like I only lost about 43. 43? That's yeah. Pretty good. That's pretty good. No, we won. Okay. Edgar lost. Uh, stops walking. Yeah. What? Yep. I threw him off a roof. It's pretty cool. He's going to take like a few steps back from you. He's alive. What? Where is Edgar? <laughs> Alistair looks forlornly up at the house. He's like, I really wanted to go home before we had this conference. I, sh- I shouldn't have said... <sighs> he turns back around. <sighs> so, I don't know. I do know what you found. Uh, remember Allah? Mm-hmm. I, I'm getting to Edgar. This is important. You remember Allah? Mm-hmm. You found Allah. Mm-hmm. We both found Allah. And Allah found you. And he's in your head now. Apparently he has backups. I'm not sure if he has backups. He's just bluffing. Mm-hmm. So, he took over, which was fine, except that when he took over, you you disappeared and ceased to become yourself, which meant that the fully grown man-eating Wendigo that is your brother lost his alpha. And shockingly, he didn't try to eat me, which was really good of him. But he did try to kill you. So the only way I could keep him alive was to hurt him so badly that he had to retreat. Then I threw him off a roof. That was pretty cool. So I'm sorry. But it was either that or he'd kill you and then probably me and definitely Herb. 
What? I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> it looks at What's her. going on, guys? <laughs> so, yeah, we won. Just. Right. Uh, puts his hands in his pockets and kind of. Uh, Ernest, what you are realizing is that if Edgar no longer has an alpha you might have to fight him again to maintain you might actually have to win that uh, role again. regain the status. you don't know for sure but you're now thinking if i ceased to be and he became the alpha for himself yeah i and, might have to win it again and Ernest has done that a few times though there have been several yeah, like yeah. uprisings of little like Insertion that type of stuff. But it also kind of shows how close under the surface that is of like how how easily it disappears. Is that Alistair saying it? Uh, I, yeah, I guess so. It wasn't going to be, but I think it works. Ernest looks at you uh, like with a very dark and very unhappy look and says, Yes, well, that's the reality with any addiction. It never goes away. I know. I'm not saying he's dangerous when you're around, but I don't know how this... Allah thing works and I'm a bit worried about if he can't, if he takes over again and if we bring Edgar back into I mean he only hurt me as self defense but what if he'd killed you and then I can't have him around here anyway that's not really something we have to worry about right now he's got a couple bullets in him but he'll no live. he'll be fine already yeah he's probably already back to yeah he'll, yeah, he'll be yeah. entirely fine it's been a day, by the way. We stayed. It's the been night. a day. Yeah. Okay. So well, two that's days. How day. many weeks back on the mainland? Did we get the message out? Yeah. Okay. And we've got radio communications back on the island now. Thanks to you, damn, actually. Good. Damn, I'm, <laughs> yeah, damn, I'm good. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Now, I'm going up to my house to see my wife and my daughter. So, and if like, you want soup, you better come with me. He, he does a little, like, salute thing and, like, signifying you go yeah. on ahead. And as you right. walk away, you hear him say, Tootles. Dark Tides is supported by our incredible Patreons. That list is ever-growing, and today we are thanking... Toby, spelled with an I, AU18, Karma, Mabden von Messer, Cedar the Barefoot, Sarah Ausback, Kinnies, Suze, Britannia, Morrigan, Jacob Shaw, Matthew Keaton, Misser and Her, Adriana, Kiani, Jumanji Fish, Henrietta, Soul King, Tiger Eyes, B, Devcon, Charity, Robin, Bailey, Amanda, Erin, Emma, Adorable Nico, Faye, Sarah M, Kevin Price, Zach, Kira D. Harron, Colin Dubois, Stephen Woman, uh, Nathaniel, Undercoming Arts, Number 27, Schnecky Boy, Flower, Addy, Julita, Daswood, Red Panda, Lexi Norman, David O'Banion, Glennis Trouser, Jackson, 
Spixie Cafe and Angela. Thank you so much for all your incredible support, and I'm terribly sorry for the butchering of your names. Message me the correct way of saying it. Thank you very much, um, and we'll see you very soon with another episode of Dark Tides. Bye-bye.